do my best to try to get through this lesson today. If we don't, then we'll get into it next week. Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. Not on. Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to talk about today, God is our greatest asset. And you might want to turn me down just a little bit while I'm up front here. Exodus chapter 3 and 4. What I want to do is I want to read first, or I want to pray first and then read these two chapters because it's going to be a little lengthy. And uh, I'm going to read them, uh, we're going to read all of it together, both 3 and 4. They're not very long. Um, but it will give you a, a good context for what I'm going to talk about today as we launch into this lesson. So let's have a word of prayer this morning and ask God to watch over us and to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come before you as the God of all glory, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We come before you as the covenant God of Israel and the God of our redemption, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come only because of your precious blood. We have no standing before you without that and so we're thankful today for the lamb of god that has taken away all of our sin we thank you for the cross where you nailed it and you took it out of the way we thank you for the holy spirit that indwells us and that uh, lord causes and guides us into all truth and and lord imparts to us and sheds abroad on our heart the love of god and the grace of god and reminds us of the goodness of our god we Lord, we're reminded of that today with the sunrise and the beautiful blue sky outside and the contrast of the green landscape and the golden grains. And Lord, as we even look at each other's eyes and the differences that we have, Lord, your eternal creativity is always around us. And we praise you for who you are. We praise you as the Holy One of heaven. And God, today we come because we're in need. We need your wisdom. We need the truth today. We need our hearts to be settled. We need our vision to be refocused and we pray today that you would do so and that you would speak to us through your word god i pray that your holy spirit would have liberty in this hour and in the next hour lord we invite you to come we pray lord that you would keep your promise that where two or three are gathered together in my name that there i am in the midst and god today i pray that you'd meet needs i think of the hollies today that have a great need god because there is a hole in their heart there is a void in their family where Nathan used to live. And now, God, he is living out his faith in the presence of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we praise you for that. We praise you for that promise. And we thank you for the time that you gave Nathan to us and to his family. We thank you for what he meant to them. We thank you for what he meant to you. And we praise you, God, that you have now, uh, that you have now taken your promise and fulfilled it to him. And we praise you for the streets of glory. We pray for Brent and Don and for, for uh, Abigail and for Gabe, for Megan and for Lily. We ask for great grace to be upon them. We ask for strength. We ask for help. We ask, God, that you would reignite their hope that lies within them, that this would be a cause for the glory of God. Lord, we know, we know that in the eyes of the Lord, the death of your saints is a blessed thing. But God, Satan can take a truth like that and Satan can take an instance like this and try to twist it. Lord, he can try, obviously, he means it for evil and we just pray for your holy protection on that family. We pray that from this, there would be other families helped. We pray that from this, there would be people saved. And we pray in all of it that you would be glorified. I pray for the needs in this room today. Lord, they may not be as arduous 
as the passing of a loved one like that. But Lord, nevertheless, their needs, emotional, social, financial, maybe even physical. We pray, God, for your help and for your healing. We pray for your comfort in our midst here today to those whose heart has been disturbed or discouraged or even distracted from the will of God in their heart. And we just pray that you'd help us to steward our hearts today by your grace. We pray now that you bless this passage in our heart. We pray that you'd speak to us through the lessons. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, of course. What happens in Exodus that is really significant? Anybody want to speak up and tell us? What happens? What's the significance behind the book of Exodus? Yes. Israel leaves Egypt. Okay. Uh, Did they leave easily or mightily? Mightily. Okay. Who's the leader at uh, or getting ready to be the leader for the children of Israel as they come out? What's his name? Moses. Just want to make sure no one says Noah or Samuel or David or something like that. Uh, Moses is the one that's leading him out. Now, what we're going to read is essentially God's interview with Moses. All right. Now, most of us, if we've ever gone into an interview, we go in with one thing in mind. We want that job else we wouldn't be there. And when we go in, we want to present confidence. We want to go in and we want to present ourselves. Do we not? An interview in many ways, like our resume, is putting ourselves on display and saying, this is what I can offer you. Tragically and unfortunately, that's not how it goes with Moses. And Moses goes in, doesn't put his best foot forward, uh, doesn't say, hey, this is what, uh, if this is what you want me to do, man, I'm your guy. In fact, he does the exact opposite. And uh, we want to read that because sometimes I think that we don't understand how God can take someone like us and use us in a miraculous way. We actually don't think of ourselves like God thinks of ourselves. And so sometimes our low esteem or our low estimation of ourselves, even in light of what God wants us to do, can keep us from actually accomplishing what God wants us to do. So I want to read this. And uh, it's a great story. It's one of the greatest stories, I think, that I Uh, draw to in the Bible. The Bible says in in, uh, Exodus chapter 3, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now I won't, we're going to skip down to verse 11, because remember, what did he see on the side of Mount Horeb? Horeb, Let's ask someone else. What did he see? A what? Okay, it was burning, but was it consumed? No. So he said, I need to turn aside and see what this is all about. I see this burning bush, but I don't see any smoke. It's been burning for a while. I'm going to walk over there and it's still standing. So I need to see what it is. And who speaks to him out of the bush? God does. And what does he say? What does he say about his slippers? He says, take them off, right? Because where you're standing is holy ground. Listen, where God is, is holy. And we need to remember that. Now let's take that and apply it to the fact that if we're saved, where does God live? In us, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know what that makes our life? Holy ground. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where we reverence and say, God, you're here. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. All of my cares, worries, my frustrations, you see and you're here with me. Now I want to recognize that. Now in the middle of this, if you go down to... Uh, verse 7, it says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. By the way, he knows yours. And you need to remember that. 
And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land, out of that land, unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites. And it lists all the cities. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. Verse 10, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said, now, Wait a minute, let's just think about this. I think I said this maybe last week, but the fact of the matter is God had selected Moses. He didn't have to apply for the job. He got the job. He was called by God to be his chosen vessel, to go and to deliver Israel out of Egypt. All right. Now we're going to see this this, uh, interaction between Moses and God, and you're going to see and hear moses own reservations the bible says in verse 11 and moses said unto god well who am i that i should go into pharaoh and and, and that i should bring forth the children of israel out of egypt so god said certainly i will be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee that i have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of egypt ye shall serve god in this mountain but moses said unto god well but look the word behold means to look 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 carefully when i come unto the children of israel and, and, and I shall say to them, look, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And what if they say to me, what's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, here's what you say. I am that I am. The, I am the eternal existent, eternally existent God of all creation. That is who I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am, I am hath sent me unto you. God said, moreover, Moses... Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now that they knew, they didn't necessarily know him as the I am at that point, but they knew as soon as God gave him the nomenclature or the barcode of the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that that was going to mean something because that means now that not only he's the eternal existent and all powerful God, he's the covenant God of Israel. The God that said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to bless you with people. Hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial under all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeareth unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, had a preacher one time in our pulpit years ago say the HIVites <laughs> and the Jebusites under the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. If you have a Bible place to write there, you should circle that word favor and write grace. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. And Moses answered. By the way, look up here. It's not often 
that God reveals the entire picture. But he did there. Now, he didn't give all of the details, but he said, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go. You're going to tell the children of Israel, God sent me. It's the, the promising God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you're going to take the elders. You're going to present yourself to, to Pharaoh, and you're going to say, let my people go. Three days out, we want to sacrifice to the God. The God of Hebrews has said, let my people go and do this. And by the way, he's going to say, what? He's going to say, no. God knows everything, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he knows everything about every choice ever. So it doesn't matter what decision you make. He already knows if you say yes, and he already knows if you say no. Okay? That's the omniscience of God. So he tells Moses, this is what's going to happen. And guess what? By my mighty hand, I'm going to deliver you. Now, he doesn't say through plagues. He doesn't say all that. But he gives them some generality. They're going to come out. And by the way, they're not going to come out poor like they are. They're going to spoil Egypt because of what I'm going to do. Basically, people are going to pay you to leave. And when you leave, you're going to have more than you've ever had, more than you'll ever need, and you're going to have all that I want you to have. And you're going to leave and you're going to go. All right? Now, the I am, the eternally existent, all power, God of creation, and the God who keeps all covenants has said to Moses, you're going to do this because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. All right, now look at chapter 4 and verse 1. And Moses answered and said, but <laughs> uh, I have a problem. Behold, look, I'm just saying, Lord, they will not believe me. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God already say what was going to happen? Have you ever read the Bible one moment and then gone out doubting it the next? Yeah, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? We're all guilty of coming and saying, this is our God and behold our God and the king of my heart we praise. And then we go out and stuff happens. And we go, look, uh, I know that's what you said, but right? So before you get too hard on Moses, let's just think about ourselves in this story. Moses said, well, they will not believe me. Nor hearken unto my voice. I, what's crazy is that's right after God just finished saying what was going to happen. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, look, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground. And what did it become? A serpent. Moses fled from before it. That's pretty wise. I hate snakes. I think Moses was probably right up there with me. He hated snakes. I don't care if you say to me, oh, it's not poisonous. Or, oh, it won't bite. I'm sorry. I don't want any part of it. If I see it slither, I'm going to jump, scream like a girl. I'm going to do the same thing with a mouse. I just don't like snakes. Not at all. Snakes and spiders just make my back have that weird thing. We were in the, we were in the camp. Uh, my wife and I had a, a counselor's cabin next to the special speaker's cabin. And uh, the uh, uh, Mrs. Fountain said, uh, oh, your camp is so nice. I just don't know if the spirit, she's being facetious. I don't know if the Spirit of God can move in such a nice camp. I looked at her, and she said, well, you know, the Bible says after that you suffer a while, right? So she said, your bathrooms are indoors, ours are, ours are all outdoors. And if you're not chasing a mouse or killing a spider, I don't know if this is a real camp that God can work on. And she was, you know, cheesing me, and I was like, whatever, who are you? And you're condescending those who are teasing back and forth. No joke. She said that one day. 
The next day, I woke up, I opened, there, uh, I, we had our door and then a hallway and then the door to go out of the cabin. I opened my door. There is a, um, a brown, what's it called, wolf spider on the, the wall. And I went, can I jump back? And immediately, it jumped and landed on the ground. I was like, I was killing that bad boy. And I was like, Ugh. well, just so happened that shortly, apparently, I didn't kill it. I thought it was dead. I left it there. I didn't have my glasses on. It was dark. And I was like, I, I think it's dead. I know I stepped on it. Well, then like 15 minutes after that, Hannah came out of her room and that sucker revived and started moving around. I opened the, I heard her. She took off her shoe and was boom, boom, boom. She and Cammy came out. What's wrong? I just killed a big spider. And I said to her, does that mean God's going to work today? See, we, we flee from things like that too. And Moses was like, Hey, I know God did this, but dude, I don't know what this spider's going to do. And so he jumped back. The guy fled away. Well, the Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine horn and take uh, thy hand and take it by the tail. Now we're talking about faith. It's one thing to see God make a snake, or can I say it this way? It's one thing to see God do something abnormal and strange and maybe even frightening. But it's another thing to grab a hold of it. God says, I want you to pick it up. And if anybody has ever picked up a snake, they know that you don't pick up a snake by its tail. Why? Because the business end of that thing can flip around and grab a hold of you. But here's Moses, doubting God, doubting himself, doubting the people of Israel, doubting the whole plan. God says, here, throw that down and make a snake. Now I want you to pick it up. What? Now look what it says. And he put forth his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. The Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put it in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was uh, leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put it into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become what? Blood upon the dry land. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm, but I'm not eloquent. Now, he's beginning to, you know, you kind of get the idea, right? He's throwing everything he possibly can at God, giving him every reason why he cannot do what God said he absolutely can do. I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. In other words, the way that I'm speaking to you with many believe, which is a stuttering element, you've heard me speak, you know that I have trouble speaking. Whether that's forming words or, or accurate grammar, I don't know. But he says, look, I'm not an eloquent man, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. That's where they get the stuttering issue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made the Lord's mouth? Or who, hath maketh, who maketh thee dumb or deaf or seeing of the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Look up here. Aren't you glad God's patient with us when we put him off? Yeah. The word we learned several weeks ago is long-suffering. Patience has to do with circumstances. Long-suffering has to do with people. And God didn't cut Moses off. 
God wanted Moses. Moses didn't want God. God had a job for Moses. Moses didn't want the job. And he's feeding him like a dealer. Uh, here, 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 here. Here's all these reasons, God, why I am not the one. You need to look for someone else. In fact, look at the next verse. The Bible says, uh, and he said, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Send somebody else. Now, here's the problem. The angle of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, It's not Aaron the Levite, thy brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. I want to take a few minutes. We're probably going to get through the very first part of this lesson, but I want to just recap. Over the last few weeks, that uh, several weeks, we learned that every church has a mission from God, and because it's from the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a holy mission. We learned that that mission is to reach the lost with the gospel, which means uh, that this place, uh, this piece of land where we sit this morning is holy ground because God's called us here. Because God wants to use us as his church. Not because we're here, but because the Lord Jesus desires to do something special and a special work in this place. That means that we are on holy ground because God is here and also because he's the one that gave us the mission. We also learn that with the mission to win the lost in this place, that we are given resources necessary to accomplish the mission. And remember this statement, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So God didn't call Moses because... He, his resume fit the bill. God says, look, I know what your resume is, and I'm calling you anyway because it's not about you. It's about what I can do through you. Moses, I'm going to do something spectacular, and he wants to do the same through us. After looking at several different resources, we noted that the greatest resource given to every church uh, who accepts the mission is God himself, and that's what God is trying to get through to Moses. So, Remember, we said that contemporary sin and brokenness are not too big for God's power. He can redeem a society as easily as he created the earth and rose again from the grave. So we said last week that uh, although murder and rape and violence, abortions, divorce, unwed births all grieve the heart of God, he is not paralyzed by them all like we are. He doesn't stop back and go, oh, I didn't anticipate that. He doesn't say, oh, I don't know if I can do all that. No, if he can find a few faithful servants, he will work miracles. We also said that com the complex problems within a church are not too big for God's power. So whatever Moses was giving him by way of uh, issue or problem or circumstance uh, or something that, that just seemed too impossible for even God to do, God says, no, you don't understand. Nothing is impossible with God. And so I want us to look today and continue this morning and be reminded of several things. And, and uh, we'll see how far we get here in the next five or ten minutes, all right? So first of all, in your outline, I want you to notice, number one, that God has up-to-date plans. Up-to-date plans. And many of you who uh, have worked in any industry, um, always are, you're, they're always updating, right? So uh, we had, in our squadrons in the Air Force, we had what's called orders of battle. And those things were... Uh, revisited and, 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 and we had, uh, you know, contingency plans. Those were always being updated, just like software always needs to be updated. And our phones automatically say, hey, got to plug me in, turn me on to Wi-Fi. I got to take an update, right? Well, God's plans are always updated and he doesn't have to be reminded of it. In other words, the, the plan of God since the, before the foundation of the world is if they decide to sin and go away from me, I'm going to love them and pursue them with the Lamb of God that's going to take away their sin. He already had that plan in place. 
So God's plans are always up to date. Why? Because the answer to sin is always the same. Because grace is always the same. Because the blood of Christ is always the same. Sometimes we make the mistake of forgetting that God's agent uh, uh, is, uh, I'm sorry, that God's, uh, that, that, oh, I'm sorry. We forget that God's plan is bigger than our plan. We forget that he has a bigger plan, all right? Because he's fully acquainted with the futures as well as the past. So we forget that God sees the big picture. We forget that he's sovereignly in control of all of it. So let me give you two thoughts. Letter A, his plans are in touch with contemporary needs. And I want you to see this from the Bible. And I want you to hear me. Think of the, think of, just in your mind, we won't say them out loud, but think of three or four contemporary issues in this dispensation in 2022 that we didn't have 35 years ago or 50 years ago. Okay, I want you to think about it. Now, I want you to remember this. Whatever we have today has always been, the majority of it has just not been as known. All right? So if you go back all the way to Genesis 6, the world, the man's mind was only evil continually. And there was wickedness everywhere to the point where God had to destroy all life on this planet, save whatever was in the ark. So I just want you to remember that there is nothing new under the sun, according to Solomon, which includes sin. The difference is it just seems like a contemporary problem because of where we live. Listen, liberalism, socialism has always been somewhere. It just hasn't been in America. So this is not a contemporary problem from God. God didn't wake up and say, oh my goodness, we have, we have all, of this, all, of these, uh, all of this contempt everywhere and judgment's all gone. What should I do? No, that's always been somewhere in the world. It just hasn't always been here. He wants, so his plans are in touch with contemporary needs as we see them. I want you to remember this. He wants brokenness healed. That's what he wants. He wants stony soil softened. He wants the atheist and the secularist and the scientist saved. That's what God wants. And he wants dysfunctional people and families made whole. Now look at your notes, Isaiah 61. You say, wait, Isaiah? Yeah. Wait, isn't that Old Testament? Yeah. But this is the prophecy that Jesus is going to stand in the synagogue in Nazareth. He's going to open the book to Isaiah 61. He's going to read it. He's going to shut the book, and that's going to begin the hatred of everybody in his life. Isaiah 61, this is God's heart. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to, watch, bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. That's about as up to date as it gets. See, we look at it and we say, the world is broke. It's always been broke. Since Adam and Eve decided to take of the fruit of the garden where they were not supposed to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's been broken. Sin came into the world by one man and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. They are together become unprofitable, God says. He looks down and doesn't say, oh no, it's broken in a different way. It's always been broken. So God says, listen, I want you to understand. I see all the problems, but the answer is still the same. God has up-to-date plans, and although God's blueprint may seem too big or too complicated to us, let her be, he plans to accomplish his purposes 
through ordinary people like you and me. And I want you to see this from Scripture, and then we're going we're gonna to finish the, the rest of this next week. But I want you to go to 1 Corinthians. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians. By the way, isn't God awesome? Let me say that again. Isn't God awesome? Isn't he wise? Oh, my goodness. If there's one thing that we need to thank God for and ask God for every day, it's his wisdom. Out of the mouth of God, Proverbs 2, cometh wisdom. Now, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want you to, to, to look up here just for a second. The church at Corinth, we said this last week, was dysfunctional. It was in complete discord, and because of that, it was in disarray. Paul said, look, I want to talk to you as mature Christians, but I can't because you're acting like children. I can't speak to you like people who know about the grace of God because you're not living by it. I can't speak to you like people who are filled with the Spirit because you're walking in the flesh and you're hurting the church. Now, I want you to think about that. These are the people that Paul writes to. And in the wisdom of God, through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear how the letter begins. Okay? Now, that's who he's writing to with the goal of what? What does God want to do to the church of Corinth? Somebody tell me. Speak up. What do you want to do to it? He wants to save it. He wants to heal it. He wants to touch the hearts of people that are divisive and people that are discouraged and, and, and people who are, who are being used of the devil because they're just in the flesh, right? God wants to save that church. Amen? Okay. Does God want to use that church? Okay. But it's full of carnal people. You see that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And yet this is the way he begins to talk to them beginning in verse 18. I want you to see this. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But to us which are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Hath not God made, watch, foolish, the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God... The world by wisdom knew not God, for it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But what do we preach? Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But to them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, what we're preaching is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now I want you to hear these verses. Remember, these are carnal people who are divisive. And, and, and they, this church is dysfunctional. Now watch this. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, those that are degreed, really smart, organized, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the what? The what? The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things to conf uh, of the world to confound the things 
that are mighty and base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? Verse 29 should be highlighted in every Bible. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now I want you to understand this. Oh, well, let's finish this. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the world. You know why he writes that? Because part of the problem in the church at Corinth was pride. This is what I have to offer. And I'm a little bit better than you because of who led me to Christ. I'm better than you because of where I got saved. I'm better than you because of my culture. I'm better than you because of who baptized me. I'm better than you. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. It's pride. And God says, look, I just want you to know what God thinks about you. You're a knothead. He has chose the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. So those things that the world says, this is what your resume has to look like. This is what your physique must be. This is what your voice should sound like. This is the way you should live your life. It says that all of that in the world is foolishness. The things that we're doing, reading our Bible and praying and going to church, praising our God, telling people about Christ, living by the grace of God, being humble, the world says, that's weakness. And God says, that's who I'm using. The world says one thing when God says another, and the world disqualifies the called. And God says, no, no, I qualify him. I don't call the qualified. I qualify the called. I'm the one that takes ordinary people that people would say, how could that guy be an effective witness here? And how could that guy possibly do here? And God says, it's not him. It's me. Why? So that you don't take credit. So that you don't get glory. So that someone doesn't say, man, that Judy, she's unbelievable. She's the most amazing woman I've ever seen. And all. No, it's so that everybody goes, man, Judy's got an amazing God. How is that even possible? You see, the, the, the glory that we seek too often is our own, isn't it? The glory that we really want is for people to think more highly of ourselves rather than saying, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. See, God's plans are all up to date, but he accomplishes those plans and purposes through ordinary people like Moses, like you. See, we have a tendency sometimes to read characters like Joshua and Moses and David and Daniel, and we put them up on this huge pedestal. And we think, man, I could never be like that. God could never use me to do that. Let's just think about this. David took a stone to a sword fight. <laughs> right? Uh, why? Because he knew God was on his side, so it didn't matter what he had. He just said, okay, Lord, Moses is fighting God. He's given him every reason. Basically, what he's saying is, Lord, I'm too ordinary. I'm too unknown, and I'm too handicapped. And he's given him all these reasons. Lord, I, there's no, you're asking me to speak. Have you been listening to me? It's taken me 
long time to get these sentences out. And you're saying that you want me to go and speak on a regular basis? There's, I'm sorry, God, there's no way. And God finally got angry with him. And we're going to see next week how God answers all of this. He doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. His only working in this place, listen carefully and we're done. His only working in this place is going to come from people who are in this place. That's how he's going to work. He's going to work through the Ravens and the Reynolds and the Bob and Sandys and Judy's and the Ray and Lourdes's. He's going to work through the Melissa's and Chris's and the Dave and Vicky's and the Cassie Castleberry's and the Phil and Sweeney's. He's going to work through the people who are here. Listen, what sometimes happens in like our situation now that we're a smaller group is what we're begging for is for God to bring someone from the outside in and say, now God can work. Now God can do something amazing. Now, because pastor's got somebody at his right hand. Now, because this guy looks the part. Now, because this girl is really talented. Now, no, that's not what God wants to do. He wants to use the people that are here. I brought you here so that I could use you. Don't disqualify yourself. Ah, I've already qualified you. I have made you who you are and your uniqueness is going to bring glory for me. I just want you available. He specifically focused on one thing and that was, this is what I'm going to do, Moses. It was almost like, Moses, you really don't have a choice here, (laughs) right? We're going to see why. Because whenever our inadequacies come into play, God's greatest asset himself overplays us. It says, I want you to know what you can do when I'm working through you. I don't, I, I'm not, Mom, Moses, it's apparent I'm not calling you because of what you can give to me. I'm calling you because of what I can give to you. Let's think about that this week. I hope that you'll ponder those thoughts. We'll finish this up next Sunday. God, you've been so gloriously gracious to us and loving and kind and uh lord i believe i i can speak for all of us in here we certainly want to be used not because it's us but god we sure would like to see what you could do through us we sure would love to see you take ordinary people like us and do something amazing god we don't need anybody else we've got you you are our greatest asset I pray that you'd help us to realize that, Lord, not just here in this place, but when we leave this place, when we go on our way, when we go home, when we open our email, when we pick up the phone, when we go to the store, when we see our families, Lord, our life is going to happen in the next several days, and that reality is going to be played out by the sovereignty of our God. I pray that we would remember that whatever you have called us to do, we can do it. And we will do it by your favor and grace if we'll present ourselves to you. Please use us. Please bless the remainder of our day together and our fellowship to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, right after.